ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय अकाम सार्वकामो वोक्षकाम उदारधी तीव्रेण भक्ति यजेत पुरुषं परम अनुवादम सम पॉइंट्स अबाउट द अबाउट वर्ड्स यूज्ड इन द ट्रांसलेशन या यू बेटर कवर दिस सो द सो इट डजंट गेट ऑल स्पॉइल्ड राइट इंपर्सनलिज्म इज ऑफन ट्रांसलेटेड एज Nirakavada, which is a good translation, but it doesn't exactly convey what is conveyed by impersonalism. Uh, I don't know if there. Of course, Nirakavada is a common term in what we might call Indian philosophy. and shila prabhupada or possibly other uh acharyas prior to him who were in contact with the english speaking world that's bhaktivinoda thakur and bhakti siddhan sarasar thakur they may have coined this term impersonalism which actually captures the point <laughs> that those who deny the form of the supreme absolute deny his personality mm is they in a roundabout way they deny his personality mm so the term yeah is a person but no form no name no uh qualities no pastimes no friends no enemies <laughs> no likes no dislikes so they'll say about krishna that yes he has form name personality friends all these things but these aren't re- this is not his essence this is not real and because the form name qualities and pastimes of shiva and brahma and you and me are also unreal that means we're all on the same level as krishna and none of it's really real at all so they uh they d- deny his personality they say his personality that is not personality but it's not real it's all illusory so niraka uh, that means also that means no form but it also it implies uh anama no name 
Then uh, what else would you say? Alila, no pastimes. No characteristics. Means no personality. Just like if we find someone, we say they have a very dull personality. Means they never smile, they never show any emotion. They don't have any friends. They just act in a very stereotyped way. So in this way, uh, they, they say he's, he is, you can say about somebody who has no personality. So they want to make Krishna like that. And you and me also. And somehow claim this to be the highest platform of spiritual realization. Then another word uh, was translated there. Socialism is translated as Samyavada. That's his standard translation in Bengali also, probably in Hindi and Gujarati also. But it's not an exact translation. It should be Samajvada. In India we have, in North India there's the, what is it, the Bahujan Samajvad Dal. Party, party. BSP. But it's just all the Bahu Harijan. <laughs> Something like uh, so, but there, there's real, yeah. The, but the idea of socialism is that everyone is put on the same level. But the real samyavad is given in Bhagavad Gita. Who can think of that verse? Hmm? There are several, actually. The best, the, huh? Hmm? Well, that's, you could say that's the real socialism. That's Krishna's social manifesto. He doesn't have to go for a vote. But for real equalityism, which Samyabad translates as, if you, try, if you translate it back from Telugu or whatever, it comes as equalityism, then we have which means that uh, those who are samadarshi, those who see with the vision of equality, they see a learned and gentle brahmana, uh, a cow, a an cow elephant, Hastini is a female element. Elephant, not element. Uh, a dog and a dog eater with the same vision. And this uh, samyata or equilibrium, equanimity in all circumstances is a, a repeated theme in Bhagavad Gita. Sukhe, dukhe, same kritva. One should remain the same or equipoised in both happiness and distress. Samalo shtashvakanchanaha. One should, or uh, the self-realized person sees the same. Uh, iron, gold, and, and uh, a clod of earth. And gold, sorry. There's loshtra and loshtra. So, uh, yeah, so, so this has to be understood carefully. It's not that we treat a tiger 
and a human being in the same way. Even if you get a very tame tiger, and there are such creatures, uh, still a tiger is not the same as a human being. But we see as sameness in as much as uh, the we understand that the atma in presently in the body of a tiger is the same in quality as the atma that is present in the body of a human or a cat or a dog or a buffalo or whatever. And as far as seeing uh, gold, iron, a clump of earth, all is the same, uh, that means that everything is examined with the same consciousness. How is this to be used in Krishna's service? Generally people don't care for a clod of earth. If you have a clod of earth this size, who cares for that? The farmer may do so, but not intensely. There's so many fields of earth, and little earth doesn't matter that much to him. But what is a small piece of earth if you have that much gold? That's something. That's something of great value in the material sense. Only because we put value on it. Otherwise, gold is not that useful. Actually, I mean, you can't really do much with it. You can't eat it. You can't grow vegetables in it that you can with earth. You could buy a lot of vegetables, a lot of vegetables with a piece of gold that size. But it's only because we ascribe value to it. Otherwise, it has no... Its intrinsic value isn't very great. But uh, we find even in the ancient Vedic culture, it was considered to be valuable. Therefore, the comment of Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, that the person of equal vision sees equally... Uh, gold, a clod of earth, and iron. It means that he has no greed or personal desire to enjoy any, anything of this world. Gold is also uh, well known for making ornaments. So we can offer them to Krishna also. It may not be so advisable in the modern age because then so many thieves will come and attack. Anyway, uh, talking about Tivra bhakti, intense bhakti. You know, bhakti must be intense to actually be bhakti. That word, that word also came up in the translation. Amishrita means unmixed. If it's mixed, then it's not really bhakti. Today I love you 80%. But if you don't cook idlis for me, it will go down to 20%. So we can have a lavometer. How much? It's going up and down. We can have a graph. Premometer. Something like this. But real prem means it's not measurable because it's already fully intense. Still, even with the, within the unlimited, there are gradations. We do not find any mixture of personal desire in the bhakti that Anjaneya, as he is well known in this part of the world, Hanuman has for Sri Rama. But still we, still we find that the residents of Vrindavan are understood to have more intense bhakti. 
There is nothing lacking in Hanuman's bhakti for Rama. But within the sphere of the unlimited, there is degrees of intensity also. This is not understandable according to material logic. Because uh, unlimited means it's it's in a different dimension and it's already beyond, yeah, beyond, unlimited means beyond measurement. But uh, that is the problem with the mundane rationalists or empiricists, different kinds of gyanis. Uh, that they own, they want to measure everything uh, by instruments, according to their sensual perception, denying or ignoring the whole world of emotion. Emotion. They want to reduce everything to atomic inter or molecular interactions. So we feel love for Krishna. And they will say, well, that's just because of something going on within the neurons in your brain. And actually, if you study the uh, neurological processes, you might find that there's something going on there with the feelings that one has for Krishna or for anything or anyone else. But that doesn't mean that the source of consciousness is the brain, as they Presume, you see, something happened in the brain and that's why you feel like that. Just like you can plug a machine into the, uh, a machine, you can plug it into the socket and then you'll get heat coming out of it. You never saw in Andhra Pradesh a heating machine, but it's very common in the cold countries. And here you get cooling machines, such as fans, Desert Kula Lu or Water Kula Lu <laughs> and Air Conditioner Lu. <laughs> uh, so if we but if we think that the the source of the power that produce that changes the air from warm air or hot air to cool air is the plug, we're wrong. It comes through that, but it's not the source of it. Anyway, I'm supposed to be talking about Tivra Bhakti. Yeah. Tivra Bhakti, Vishayam. Yeah, so we hear about the uh, intense devotion of Hanuman and the gopis and Prahlad and Ambarish and so many others. And for us, uh, at our present stage of devotional service, uh, Tivra Bhakti can be understood to mean practicing Bhakti very seriously. It means following all the rules and regulations of devotional service. Uh, if we don't do that, then we can't advance to the stage of spontaneous tivra bhakti or intense devotional service. 
In India, bhakti is widely practiced. In India and other parts of the world also. But to uh, actually advance in bhakti, one has to practice it. Well, first of all, one has to know who is the proper object of our bhakti. Yesterday in the lecture at that other town, which name I don't remember, um, the first question was, who is God? So this is very important to understand. Just like uh, people, they may be worshipping Sai Baba, and they'll be chanting Veda mantras and doing Arati and all these uh, all these activities which are borrowed from uh, are hijacked from Shastra and applied to someone who is not at all mentioned in Shastra. Of course, Sai Baba is repeatedly mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, but in an indirect way. Namang duskutino murha prapadyante naradamaha mahya paritagyana asurang bhavamashitaha For instance. So, uh, we should know that Krishna is the proper object of love, the central object of love. Prabhupada writes this in the Nectar of Devotion preface. Central object of love. Ah, uh, I mulam here. I I don't know Telugu, but I would think that vishay is more rather than mulam or patra. Central object of love means we have to offer the love to him. Mul such hmm. Kendriya, we could say the Kendrik Vishayam, central object. But if we say Mula, we think that it's something from which something else grows. But if we say Vishayam or Patra, then that means that everything has to be given there. Yeah, you can say like that. So this, that, that Krishna is the central object of love is the basic understanding of Krishna consciousness. What, what is exactly does Prabhupada say? Look up central object in a string search. Do you know how to do a string search? It's in the Nectar of Devotion preface. It's the basic principle of Krishna consciousness, Prabhupada says. Hmm? Oh, it's in Krishna book, preface. Okay. So what is it? Introduction to Krishna book. What is proper? He is the central object of love because he gives us always expanding himself in so many ways according to different situations, namely bodily, mental, or spiritual. No, but then go on for another central object. So in the nectar devotion preface. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll find it later. So yeah, first of all, the bhakti has to be for Krishna, and then it has to be unmixed. Uh, 
So to come to that standard, we have to follow all the rules and regulations of devotional service very carefully, with a proper understanding of how to follow them also. Uh, Rupa Goswami has informed us that um, one of the main obstacles in devotional advancement is not following the rules and regulations, niyama agraha, but also niyama agraha, being very eager to follow the rules just because they're rules without understanding why they are rules, that is also an obstacle in devotional advancement. So all these rules in devotional service, they are meant to uh, attach our mind to Krishna and detach our mind from any subject other than Krishna consciousness. Smartavya satatam vishnu vismartavya najatuchit saravidhi nishedasya etayo eva kinkaraha. One should always think of Vishnu and never forget him. And all other rules are servants of these two rules. So someone may say, well, I just love Krishna, so I don't need to follow any rules. No one who actually loves Krishna would say that. Because someone who actually loves Krishna doesn't say, I love Krishna. We see people, uh, they get they buy t-shirts in Loi Bazaar in Vrindavan with I and then a heart, Krishna. But no, it means I love Krishna. But no actual devotee says, I love Krishna. And one who does actually love Krishna, they still follow the rules, just to set an example, for, at least to set an example for others. And because they like to. You and I, we go to Mongolati because we need to for our spiritual advancement. But one who is full in love of Krishna... They like to. <laughs> so, following the rules and regulations uh, carefully, but not fanatically. This, this is, this will be our tivrata, our intensity in devotional service. Because to follow all the rules requires some uh, intensity. One has to have uh, determination, especially because many people will say, "Ah, why are you doing that?" I, what is this? Wasting your time. So that um, determination means that one, uh, even though there may be so many obstacles or so many ways in which, uh, uh, so many discouragements for devotional service, but still we're completely fixed. I have to serve Krishna. Now, uh, I, I'm actually discussing this because Madhav Gopinath Prabhu in somewhere Hyderabad direction he uh, gave me many questions about this um, I don't remember if this question was there but it should have been there if it wasn't the one which I'm about to say there's I don't I'm going to speak now on a subject which I don't remember that this question was asked about it, but if it wasn't, it should have been. That is the relationship between tivrata, intensity in bhakti, and namrata, humility. Because the two principles may seem to be quite possibly contradictory. Tivrata means uh, intensity. Tivrata. Tivrata. <laughs> 
uh, you have to translate it into English, but that would be telling. Anamrata uh, suggests mildness. Middle, middle. So, uh, usually if we say someone is intense, it means like they're really pushing you to do something. Maybe you think of someone with an intense personality. Strong personality. And someone of a mild personality, they'll everything okay. Let it be. Let it be. Whisper words of wisdom. Let it be. Um, in the the science, which modern scientists won't call a science, is the science of physiognomy, which means anga uh, lakshana so this was actually shown to me many years ago by what's now his name is Bhakti Saurabh Narayan Maharaj you know him in Sikandarabad so he showed me if you have a very flexible fingers that means you have a very flexible person and the thumb should be his thumb is like bent back like this so it means very flexible personality that's what, that's what he told me. Not namrata, flexibility. It's not exactly the same thing. And if you have a chin sticking out like this, that means very determined or whatever. Now, that you, what was that you said? Flexible means humble. Flexible means you translated flexibility as namrata. It's not exactly the same thing. One may be uh, very flexible in his dealings because he just can't be bothered to... Just like people, it's very common in the modern age, they don't discipline their children because they just can't be bothered to take the trouble to do so. And, it's, and it's been, it's been <coughs> sanctified as a great quality to just let your children do what they like and then that's, that's being very liberal with them. But just because you're so damn lazy doesn't mean that you're humble. It's more a sign that you don't really care for your children than then of being humble. You can be uh, lazy and proud also. So devotees must be intense, otherwise there's no meaning to bhakti. And they must be humble, otherwise there's no meaning to bhakti. Um, but the intensity of a devotee May or not, may not be uh, an overbearingness. That means prabhutva. There, there are different kinds of personalities in devotional service. Srila Prabhupada once, when in a famous lecture, when he was speaking about his Gurudev, he mentioned about himself that in his youth he was known as the leader of his circle. And when he was a child, an astrologer saw his chart and said, Hukam Chalega. What he said, his order will be followed. That doesn't mean that every devotee will be like that. If everyone was like that, it would be a very difficult world to live in. There have to be leaders and followers also. So you can be a very great and devotee and have a very overbearing person of course that word overbearing is often used in a kind of derogatory sense you can say a power, very powerful uh, dominating kind of personality like Srila Prabhupada 
And there may be uh, devotees also who they're not leaders of others. So many examples could come to mind. I just thought of Vibhu Chaitanya Prabhu, who was a disciple of Srila Prabhupada, who uh, is from Bangladesh originally, and he served as, as cook in Krishna Balaram, Prabhupada's Krishna Balaram temple for many years, and very soft personality in, in some ways. I mean, I never cooked with him, but I'm sure if you were messing things up and not doing it properly, he wouldn't just let it go because it has to be, everything has to be nice for Krishna. So in the case of Srila Prabhupada, uh, his humility might not be so apparent because he's domineering by personality. And in the case of Vibhu Chaitanya Prabhu, his tivrata might not be so apparent because he's very mild by personality. But just like that example I gave, if you, were, if you were cooking and making a mess of the whole, doing things wrongly, he wouldn't just, in the name of being humble, he wouldn't just let it go. His intensity was his complete absorption in and dedication to serving Krishna in the best possible way, 24 hours. And uh, Srila Prabhupada's humility was that similar to Hanuman's humility, that he did whatever was necessary for serving Bhagavan in the best possible way. Srila Prabhupada was ordered by his guru to preach. So if you preach, but you don't preach, <laughs> if you just say, well, this is very nice, if you like, you could take it, uh, you're not like to have much of an effect. Preaching means fighting. You have to fight against all the Owls. <laughs> you have to forcibly open their eyes. But it wasn't that because Prabhupada was forceful that he wasn't humble. One Srila Prabhupada was lecturing at a university, Uppsala University in Sweden. And Sweden is probably the most socialistic country in the world. Um, I mean, at that time, of course, there was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. But the people were not so much into socialism, it was just forced on them. Uh, so the, the, the USSR is now dismantled, but Sweden continues as a socialistic country. Because the people are really into it. They're really into this idea of everyone's all the same. Just like in their neighboring country, Norway, which has similar values, an Indian couple who are working there have just been sentenced to prison for disciplining their children. Because they, they have the idea that everyone's all the same. So you can't discipline your children. I remember in 1979 I was selling these um, records in Sweden for raising money for purchasing vehicles for preaching in Bangladesh. You don't know what a record is unless you're 50 years old or something. So it's something, uh, anyway, we used to see. They don't know what it is. Pre, something like a cassette, a pre, prior to that. You don't know what a cassette is if you're less than 20 years old. So, anyway, we were selling these silly things. Um, I remember the first time I approached one woman with her child. No husband, of course, because they don't have husbands. Yeah, the chinna, chinna. 
pill. They're like five-year-old boy. So I showed her the record with the idea she's supposed to buy it. And she turns to her little boy and says, shall we buy it? So then I learned, forget about preaching to the mothers, you have to preach to the little kid. So anyway, Prabhupada, getting back to Uppsala University, circa 1972, something like that, 74. So Prabhupada gave this whole lecture on Varnashra as the best social system. People, they hate this idea in, the, in those countries, that, that one class is higher than another class, and then there's another class lower than that, and then there's another class lower than that. They hate these ideas. And even if you wanted to be very diplomatic in presenting, you could just say they're different classes. But Srila Prabhupada was repeatedly using the term first class, second class, third class, and fourth class. So the students and faculty, at least they were polite enough, because they're Swedish, to listen to the whole lecture before challenging him. Uh, and then the uh, inevitable question came at the end, so you, you think you're first class? You think you're better than everyone? And Srila Prabhupada's spontaneous answer was that, no, I am the last class because I am the servant of everyone. And it wasn't that Prabhupada was just like, giving some clever reply, but his, the devotees who were there, I remember especially Prithu Prabhu, he, was, he, he tells this again and again. He said that uh, it was quite obvious that Prabhupada really completely felt that. He wasn't just, like I say, he wasn't just saying something to parry the, the challenge. So real intensity... Actual intense devotional service will always be apparent by its uh, accompanying humility. Uh, if someone is intense in devotional service, um, but they have not, th there's no apparent humility, then um, there's overbearingness but not genuine humility, then we can understand that that intensity is a dovetailing of Rajaguna in Krishna's service. Because the uh, a, a, a inherent characteristic of actual devotional service is in, not only intensity in activity and speech, but intense humility also. Hmm... So, another, some other questions which I can remember. I'll just go through one or two more. Um, one question was there. How can children, how did children like Dhruva and Prahlad attain such intensity in devotional service? Now, <clears throat> one important factor there is obviously that... Um, taking up from previous life. We see that different people take to devotional service in this life at different degrees of intensity and understanding. So we understand that if someone, uh, upon coming in contact with devotional service from the beginning, they immediately pick up the essence and act on that. And we can understand that in a previous life, they must have also been practicing 
add that level of intensity. But of course, another major factor in the uh, <coughs> devotional service of Dhruva and Prahlad is Guru Kripa, the mercy of God. They both received the mercy in the form of instruction by Sri Narada. So, although we say Tivrata and we have to make our own endeavor, that's for sure, in devotional service. But uh, the factor of the mercy of the Guru is indispensable. There's a well-known story of uh, the two sons of Shiva and Parvati, namely Ganesh and Kartikeya, having a competition. Who can go around the universe quicker? So it must be Kartikeya because he's born as a fighter. He's born to lead the uh, troops of the demigods to defeat the demons. Whereas Ganesh is Lambodara. He's got a big fat belly. Doesn't look like he's very suitable for athletic activities. So they had a competition. Okay, they'll have a race. Who can go quickest around the universe? So Kartikeya set off. And Ganesh yawned a little bit and ate a few ladus. I'm, a- I'm adding a little here to the story. Then he came before Shiva and Parvati, bowed down to them, and did Parikrama of them. Then Kartikeya came back a few minutes later, did it, went around the whole universe. And you still didn't even leave here, still trying on different kinds of running shoes. No, Ganesh said, no, I already went all around the universe. <laughs> Just by going around our parents, we went all around the universe. So Kartikeya was defeated. So in the same way, uh, we may expend much energy in devotional service, but there's one little secret, that it's not simply by our own effort, but if we can please the bona fide spiritual master, then everything comes by those blessings. Of course, we may make much endeavor in the service of Sri Guru also, as we see in the case of Krishna and Sudama, how they got the blessings of Sandipani Muni. What's that verse? Guru Nishkritam. You can look it up. Guru, and then another word, Nishkritam. Eta Jeva Hisachisha. Guru Nishkritam. How does that go? Krishna. Well, Sandipani Muni spoke this to Krishna and Sudama, and then Krishna again spoke this to Sudama many years later when they met again. Kartavyam Guru Nishkritam. Kartavyam Guru Nishkritam. Eta Devi Satchishayar. Kartavyam Guru Nishkritam. Yadvai Vishuddha Bhavena Saravartatmatpanogoro. So, what's the translation? This indeed is the duty of bona fide disciples to discharge their debt to their guru by uh, offering everything to him in purified consciousness. That's a rough translation. 
Then another question was there, what are the obstacles in attaining intensity in devotional service? Our own non-intensity, our laziness, our attachments to anything else but devotional service, our own stupidity. Mm. So, Hare Krishna. Any questions about this? Uh. <clears throat> like last time in Yadigiri Ruta, someone mentioned about this regulative principle of freedom. Mm. So, we can see there is one example when we are flying the kite. Mm. So, this kite actually is connected with, with the man, with the person, with the street. So, we can say that. This string is limiting this sky. But actually, if we will cut this string, then this sky will fall down. Mm. So, same actually with these principles. When we are just following these regulative uh, principles, actually, we can get, go high and high in the spiritual life. But we are not following. Because someone can think that this principle can uh, li- limit us. But actually, they are causing that we are going to get high, higher and higher in the emotional life. Okay, you want to translate that? Hare Krishna. Yeah. Yesterday, question was there. You have mentioned that uh, um, Lord should be always young and regarding wisdom as well. Then why is that? Oh, now we're going to another subject. Let's leave this. Otherwise, there are unlimited questions. Okay, we'll finish that.